So I want to talk about love today. Not a topic I think we've explicitly ever covered. <laughs> Funny enough. <laughs> Funny enough. But I think implicitly you would probably find it in many episodes and uh, many, many episodes. I want to start off by a little paragraph that I read. I'm currently reading Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. It's again, one of these books that is very inspiring, very delightful, that fills my heart with love actually reading it. And there's a part early in the book where the brothers and their father are going to this monastery because there's a big conflict between the father and the eldest son and almost a violent conflict. And there they encounter this elder, this kind of saintly person in the monastery, a very old, very sick man that sort of people attribute many, many great abilities to him, a lot of wisdom, healing powers, whatever, whatever. But he seems to be a very gentle, very simple man. So I think Dostoevsky writes him as somebody that, you know, might be the real deal uh, here. Though many other people, monks and the elder are, you know, mere mortals. <laughs> this man seems to be a little different. So there are all kinds of people that come to him with their problems, their sorrows, their pain. And eventually there's a woman that shares with him her great doubt about the end of life, about heaven and hell, about God. And basically tells him that she's tried so much to believe, to have faith, but in her heart, she still feels tremendous doubt. And at first, he gives her a little bit of advice or asks some questions. It's a bit of a back and forth, but you can tell that he's not getting anywhere with her. And then she asks, you know, but no matter how much I practice having faith and praying and going to church and reading holy scriptures and following, you know, whatever the Ten Commandments and doing all these things to be a good Christian and have great faith. I feel like my whole life, there's always going to be that doubt. What happened? What really happens? I don't know. What if what I believe is not true? And he tells, oh, you know, basically there's a simple way to get rid of that doubt. And she's like, what? How? And he says, and I quote, by the experience of active love, strive to love your neighbor actively and indefatigably. Strive to love your neighbor actively without fatigue. In as far as you advance in love, you will grow surer of the reality of God and of the immortality of your soul. If you attain to perfect self-forgetfulness in the love of your neighbor, then you will believe without doubt, and no doubt can possibly enter your soul. This has been tried. This is certain. I love how he ends it. I love this is so strong. This has been tried. This is certain. I love it. How could I believe without doubt by the experience of active love? I love it's not by the action of active love is not by actively loving, it's by experiencing active love. Not love as an idea or concept, not love as a theory, actively loving and experiencing that love that flows through you. By doing that, strive to love your neighbor actively without fatigue. And as far as you advance in love, you will grow sure of the reality of God and immortality of your soul. Right? And then if you attain to perfect self-forgetfulness 
You know, you're loving so actively your neighbor, the world thinks so fully, you're experiencing that love, you're flowing out of you into the world so much that you forget more and more yourself. The act, and if you attain to perfect self-forgetfulness in the love of your neighbor, then you believe without doubt, and no doubt can possibly enter your soul. And I'll say it again because I love it. This has been tried. This is certain. And I have tried this. I think most people have experienced this. I for certain have experienced this. And when I love actively, fully self-forgetfully and experience that love, the flow of love, there is no doubt that, you know, there is no end to whatever us is, that there is more to whatever us is than, you know, flesh and blood and some neurons in the brain. And there's no fear or doubt about anything. It's kind of like you have these obstacles in the way that are like real hindrances and where you're like, you look at it in everyday life and you're like, oh my God, what do I do? How do I overcome this? And then when you're in this state of active love, it's like you're riding on a very powerful horse that's just galloping over all of it effortlessly, right? <laughs> that's beautifully said. I remember the first MDMA therapy session that I did, which was very daunting and I expected tremendous dragons to appear in the dark. I had spent a year of writing an emotional diary of like every day, how do I feel? How do I feel? And I could, for weeks, I couldn't access it. I don't know how I feel. I'm not sure what this emotion is. And then slowly but surely, kind of my connection to my feelings started, you know, re-emerging and re-establishing themselves. And I thought, oh my God, I'm nervous talking to Ramin. Why am I nervous talking to Ramin? This can make, doesn't make any sense. Well, because you feel really terrible right now and you want to be really strong and inspiring when you talk to your friend. I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> This is too much work. If even talking to Ramin is, is so nerve-wracking to me, how do I live? How can I live like that? And I did a lot of that inner work and inner self-inquiry. And then eventually this idea popped up and this friend of mine was just at the beginning of his journey of doing, you know, substance-assisted therapy to people. And he said, why don't you come? Why don't we do this together? And I said, yes, this is the right moment. This is the right time. Let's do it. And when I went there, I prepared myself for everything, shitting in my pants, puking, crying for seven hours. I thought, who knows what kind of devil saw inside of me? Who knows what, you know, trauma will appear? I was prepared or preparing myself for the worst. I was thinking, this is going to be a shit show. And I found peace in that idea. I thought, it's fine. I'm ready for it. Let's go. This is what needs to happen. Let it happen. Let it happen. I'm ready. Let's rock and roll. And then the absolute opposite happened. Nothing more opposite than what I expected could have happened in that first session. And not just was it the exact opposite of what I expected. It was the exact opposite of what he expected as well. So it was a, a beautiful little interesting challenge. And I remember I have many, many beautiful experiences in life. And since then... But I've never had, I think, as powerful of a pure love experience as in that session. What happened very early on, I was found myself a newborn again. I was swaddled very tightly. I couldn't move my hands or legs. I was warm and in the arms and embrace of a mother. And there was nothing for me to do. I was just there, warm, protected. And all I was getting as a message was just let go and receive it. Just allow it. Just allow love to flow. You're safe. And that was also when I first had the experience that maybe for a newborn, for a human 
human soul, a human heart, a little human without all the mental concepts yet. What love feels like is connection, closeness, warmth, protection, safety. Like I'm safe, I'm warm, and I feel the heartbeat of somebody else and everything is fine. And that's all. There's no, I'm pretty and oh yeah, I'm loved because I'm a really great newborn baby and I've accomplished And it's really this mother that's the right mother to love me and where the love flows also from me to her because I appreciate the way she's holding me. There's none of criteria checking off. Oh, yeah, I love this person because X, Y, Z, and she loves me or he loves me because of X, Y, Z. And so this is love. That doesn't exist. There's no criteria. All that love feels like is closeness, connection, warmth safety. That that kind of being close and warm and connected is safe. I'm safe. I will survive the next breath. You know, I'm okay right now. And that felt tremendously calming. It felt tremendously fulfilling and filling. It felt so beyond the love. Parts of the way I experienced love before that was always sort of conditional, always Oh my God, I love my mother so much because she's such a great woman, because she's done so much for me, because she's this, because of that. And there's like always criteria around it. Like I love her for who she is. Well, what if she changes a little bit? Do I love her a little less than, right? Seems very conditional the way I love. And I remember even one time arguing with back then my wife where she was talking about unconditional love. And I'm like, listen, there's no such thing. Love is always conditional. You know, my children, if they start raping other people, will I love them? No. If they kill other people, no. Like, it, love is not unconditional. You can't be hitting me, beating me, spitting on me, and I will love you unconditionally. If it was like that, I just close my eyes, walk out the door, and whoever I run into first, that's going to be my partner for the rest of my life. Right? It doesn't matter, man, woman, old, young, nasty to me or not. I'll love unconditionally. Now, today, <laughs> today... I have slightly a differentiated worldview. Yes, we are this world, most of us. And it is very difficult, if not yet very hard to reach for me to love unconditionally. I have moments where I felt this, both on the receiving end and on the giving end. But mostly, I am a mere mortal with my feet on the ground and I operate with conditions and mainly with my mind running the show, right? But I do believe that love in its pure form, there's a, in some languages, there's many ways of saying love. It's funny in English, you just say, you say love the way you, you'll say, I love my child, just like you'll say, I love my lover. In Greek, there's different words. Yeah, there's eros, which is the love that you have for a woman, a man, a, a essential love. And then there's agapi, which is the love you'll have for a mother, a child, for your nation. A love that is beyond romance, beyond sensuality. There's different words for love. But in English, we use that word to describe many. But there is a sort of spiritual love, let's call it, that is a current that seems to me much deeper and different than you know anything that has to do with, I love this person because she has beautiful hair and because she likes hockey just like me so we watch hockey games and I like her hair like and that's why th I love her right <laughs> you know I have a desire for her hands I probably love her or something and that love seems unconditional to me it seems like this and I've experienced this love in many different times in many different states as a sort of natural element that we can't yet 
grasp or define or measure, but that is just like the wind or the ocean or the earth or the sun and sunlight. A universal law, it is something that radiates through space and consciousness and creates the condition for life to happen. And it feels a very specific way. It feels like this, feels like the deepest connection that exists in the universe. You know, it's like that thing that takes all living things and puts puts them all together so they connect. You have this connection with the everythingness. Uh, you feel this closeness and connection and this safety with and the sameness with everything, like this oneness that people describe sometimes. So I remember six and a half hours laying there without a movement, without a sound, just being a newborn baby that is held closely to the, the, you know, to the body of a mother and where just instantly or consistently there was this little, this little message that I was hearing that was like, just receive it. Just let it in. Just allow it. All is well. You're loved. And a couple of times I remember wanting to do things. Like I knew that my partner in crime, the, my friend that was the therapist in this session, was expecting me to talk a lot and to move and to have things and to in, engage. And uh, he was sitting there with a laptop to transcribe and was recording. But like three, four hours into it, I have not moved or said a word. So I could at some point sense a, a nervousness in him. And I remember thinking, I should say something to calm him down. I should say everything is fine. And in that moment, I felt almost like a massive hand on top of my upper body and my hands, just almost like a fatherly hand or motherly hand that went on me and said, no, there's nothing to do for you. Everything's fine. And the, the message in that moment was, Alex is, you know, my friend, he's fine. He can figure it out on his own. You don't have to take care of him. There's just right now, just receive this. Just allow it. There's nothing for you to do. A couple of minutes later, he takes the headphones off of me and he's like, my friend, if you want to talk, I'm here. <laughs> and I just remember saying, all is well later. And then he put the headphones back on. And so much of that first session for me was, wow, there's such tremendous love everywhere available for me. And there's nothing I need to do to earn it or to increase it or to improve it. But what there is to do for me is to receive it. Because most of my life, I've been closing myself to this. Being afraid, if I allow love, then when love leaves, I won't be able to handle that hurt. Because I've experienced that hurt, to love someone as a child, a parent, and sort of feel that they're immortal. And, just, and then from one day to another, they're dead and they're gone. And you're like, wow, nothing is safe. Loving for sure isn't fucking safe. And so to me, love seemed always threatening, both to love someone too much, because then what if they leave or they die or something changes? And also, maybe even more so, to be fully loved. I always wanted to be loved and loved, but I was always also very afraid and threatened by it. Because if you love me so much, you know how love felt to me when it was coming to me? It always felt like burden and responsibility. It was always, wow, now I'm responsible for this person. I need to make sure that they're never hurt. What if I want to do something else and they will feel hurt by that? What if I don't love them as much as they love me? All this seemed threatening, stressful to me. So I kept most people... 
I had this weird dance where a tremendous amount of people love me so deeply and I love so many people so deeply. And at the same time, for most of my life, everybody was at an arm's length, right? There was kind of kept them in your safe zone. Yes, they, they were close enough, yeah. but not yet making contact, you know, not yet fully making contact, just very close to it. And I had this experience many, many months later, I did a psilocybin retreat in in the Netherlands. And that experience was all about my anger and rage. <laughs> you know, there was like a very different experience where all that rage and anger I had for myself came out and it was quite an experience. And two weeks later, without any substances or anything, I was in Greece and it was a very beautiful sunny day. And at some point I felt, I don't know, a lot of emotions and I wasn't sure what I'm feeling. And I thought, I'm just going to lay down and do a body meditation. And we've talked about this on the podcast. There's an episode about my kind of body meditations. And I was just laying there and I played some playlist of like some kind of nice music in the background and I was fine. And then eventually somehow a song made it on this playlist that was played during my psilocybin retreat. And when that song started, I sort of have had a deep, deep drug experience without any substances. And what that was like, almost the sun was shining on me and... At some point, I don't know how it happened, I found myself in a fetus position, which is not a position I take ever in sleeping or laying somewhere. And what I was experiencing for 20 minutes was like almost like being in the stream of universal love. I just felt the stream of love, just pure love flowing through me. It was awesome. It was so great. It took me like a day to handle real reality. I was just walking around and I was just so high. I was so high on love. I was just like, oh my God. It was the, the first real sort of, you know, drug experience without any drugs where just something triggered something in me. Two weeks later, I, I was in as deep of a state as if I'd had taken any kind of medicine, like plant medicine to get into like a psychedelic state. And we talked about this on the darkness recording on the second one, I think, where one of my big breakthroughs in darkness was this stop fighting love message. You know, I had a experience before that that was actually maybe an important middle step to it during the silent retreat in the ashram. Nothing to do with any substances where, you know, I walked around and had this moment of recognition and realization of you know, connecting with the universe and God. And then a week later, I heard somebody say, you know, you're so loved. And I went on a walk again. Nothing. This is this totally sober experiences. Going on a walk and feeling how every living, breathing, moving thing in the world is loving me, like is sending love to me. But this kind of love, not that you're pretty or I like your hair love, but this kind of universal love is flowing through all the things. And I never been as high as I was on that walk. I never also looked as high. I mean, I wish somebody had a video of me. I was walking around with an open mouth, which I never do, <laughs> never. And with eyes and I was looking up at trees, I was like, And there was a voice inside of me that was saying, wow, people must really think that you're on something dramatic right now. But I just couldn't care enough about how I look to anybody. And I had a day, a full day of feeling loved by anything and everything. Like just everything. The ground I was walking on was loving my feet. Everything was loving. Pretty fucking dope, but also kind of scary towards the end because I started worrying, what if this never ends? You know, <laughs> it's so funny. It was uh -huh. overwhelming love. That was also the first time I 
realized for myself, the question is never, am I loved or how much love am I getting? It's always, how much love can I bear? How much love can I allow? Because love, when your heart is fully open, wide open, it is very, very intense. And it's not just the one flavor about it. We just talked about closing down or proportioning the love we give to people depending on how they react to it or how they respond to it or how their love flows back to us. And love comes in so many different forms. This was the experience I had at the dark retreat with Stop Fighting Love because I was back in Germany around my family. And to me, what those weeks felt like was just so much pressure and so many demands and expectations and so much stress. And I was like, I can't handle all this. Everybody, I felt like everyone needs more of me and I just cannot give enough. It's never enough. And everybody's like, well, now that you're here, we're going to see you a lot. Are you coming tomorrow? Are you, should we do this? And everybody's also kind of careful, you know, oh, let's not bother Stelly. Oh, he's very busy. All this stressing me because I'm like, because I want to spend the two months I'm there just with my mom. And I want to spend the two months I'm there just with my children. I want to spend those two months just with my brothers and with my friends. And I want to do the amazing work at work and take care of my employees and my co-founders. And I want to do the awesome creative work we're doing with this podcast. I want to do so many things and I can. And so I was so, oh my God. And every little request was an email. Hey, can you also do a speaking gig at this event? Another email. Well, we have to prepare your taxes. Can you send us these papers? Another uh, call from a, every text message from a friend. Hey, dude, I thought about you. What is going on in your life? It was all stress to me. All a little bit of a demand. Somebody ringing a bell wanting something from me. I'm like, these bells, It's I can't service all of them. And I can't do them justice. I'm trying to select the, the ones that I feel most important and I'm rationing it out fairly. And I'm like, this is not enough. I don't have enough to feed these. How do I do this? And then conflict started. You know, there's a, a business partner that is uh, stressed and worried and is putting more pressure on me. And then there's a friend that, you know, that wants something from you or that I feel like is not putting enough love and energy into our friendship. And in darkness on day three, I have this moment where I realize, Oh, all that, all it is, is love. But it is the kind of love that is overwhelming me because I'm closing down my heart. Because it's the type of love that doesn't feel, it's not that rationed out, small proportion, current, like, oh yeah, I can handle this. I like this. Right now, I feel like a little bit of a dessert. Oh, you're a cheesecake? Mm, I like cheesecake. Up, oh, I take a piece mm, with a little bit of coffee. Ah, oh, yeah, I love love. It's not that. It's the, you know standing in front of a tsunami and being like, let's fucking go, right? Being on a surfboard and surfing these massive waves and playing with it, not being afraid of them. Love, I realized in that moment, the business partner that was angry and stressed and this and that, all it is is he loves me so much and he loves the project we're working on so deeply and he doesn't feel safe. And so that love is now transforming into anger and fear and worry. And it's directed at me because he doesn't get that worry and fear and love back for me. So he feels alone. So he's louder and louder in his neediness for that. That is only threatening to me or unsettling or challenging as I'm closing down and trying to protect against it. The more I protect against it, the harder he hits, the harder he does this. And now we're in this fight. And now this is very, very taxing. On the flip side, if I can see his like, we're not doing enough and this needs to happen, and I can feel 
this is energy, this is love. This is somebody that's feeling that he can't love enough, it doesn't get enough love. It's not threatening anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that I'll service it the way he wants it, but it means that it's just love. Can I have a heart that's open enough to take somebody screaming at me and feel the love, the energy? Not get confused in the illusion that this is a threat to my life somehow and I'll need to protect me. Now, I might say the same thing in love that I will say in fight. The content might be the same. Let's do A next. Or no, option B is not what I'll do. I might say the exact same things, but what's the state I'm in? Can I, like, when I'm in love, those words would arrive differently. And also, my life, I am grounded and rooted in love. My life is not dependent, the amount of love I feel, the peacefulness I feel, the fulfillment is not based on people giving me the sort of type of flavor of love at the quantity I can handle at that moment. Because one of the greatest blessings of my life is that my life has been very much filled with tremendous amounts of love, tremendous amounts of love. And it's ever increasing. It's never decreased. It's always been more and more. And at times, like right now, where it seems to be accelerating a little bit in my perception, I get scared. I get very scared. I get very tense. And my feeling is this is too much. I can't handle all this. We talked about this in the conversation, but even a comment like from my ex-wife with, we're hanging out with the kids, we're playing, we're having a good time, we're having a conversation. And then she goes, maybe we should visit you, you know, two weeks into going to Amsterdam because there's school holidays. Visit you at your new house. And part of me wanted to be like, are you crazy? I don't even have a place to stay there. Like, just give me. And that was the feeling. I was like, just people, just give me a little break, just a little space. You want too much. You want it too quickly. I can't handle all this. But it, and then also maybe the voice that's now I have to say no in front of my children. Why are you so insensitive? Why are you so selfish? But in that moment, I had enough awareness and consciousness to go, oh, this is just love. This is just somebody that's like, we love you so much. We love hanging out with you so much. We want more of this. Can we just come more? And I can feel that love and say, no, I won't be able to host you in two weeks, I think, without any hurt without any tension, without any closing down, without any coldness. I can be warm and loving and I can feel this not as a pressure or an expectation or a to-do or an attack or demand. I can just feel this as, this is just love. The same thing goes for people that are, my oldest brother and my middle brother had a conversation and one of them was worried for a moment about me potentially moving to Amsterdam because in Amsterdam they have drugs (laughs) as if they're not available anywhere else in the world. And when that came up, old Steli would have felt very irritated by this and with a slight arrogance. My feeling would have been, who are you to worry about me? And what do you think of me to be worried as if I'm going to become some heroin addict because I now live in a city like I'm as if this is not available in New York, San Francisco, LA, and any other place that I lived before. But, and especially because there's an arrogance that I have that says, do you know who I am? I'm Steli motherfucking FT. Have you read my books? Have you listened to my podcast? Do you know my wisdom? Have you ever seen me make a mistake of that sort? Be weak in that way. How dare you be afraid for me? But in that moment, I, because it came up in a sort of surprising way, but in that moment, when I heard that, I thought, 
He's just loving you. And his way of loving me is to worry about me. And when he worries about me, he doesn't take into account how smart is he, how wise. Do I? I'm just his little brother. And his way of loving a big part of it is not necessarily always encouragement and belief. It is worry. You know, it's like protectiveness. I need to protect these people, right? That my family. And so when he thinks of me making a change in my life, the first thing he does is worry about how could this hurt him? How could this be a threat? No matter what the change is in my life. And so he thinks about Amsterdam. The first thing that comes into his mind is some, oh, they have drugs there, whatever, weed. And then he's like, well, what if something happens to him? And he gets off the path. That worry is not an attack on me. That doesn't, it's not spitting down on me. I don't have to climb up the ladder high and spit down on him <laughs> to make us equal. How dare you? Do you know who I am? Who are you to worry about me? I can just be like, dude, I love you too. I really love you too. And I don't have to match his worry because I'm not worried at all about this. I don't have to make it now my job to make him not worry. Oh, I cannot have him worry about me. I need to, this is my work now, convincing him not to worry. No, none of this. This is not my work. There's no demand. He didn't tell me not to go, which is something I could interpret. Oh, he doesn't want me to go, but I want to go. And all this stress, worry, it's all generated in these stories and ideas, the, the way I perceive this. Why? Because when I feel your worry about something, I yet can't feel it as love. I feel it as a lack of love, as a, uh, you know, sort of making a deposit, you're taking money out of the love account. So I'm getting scared. What to say, wait a second, you know, I need to stop this. Like if you today said, you know what, Steli, I'm really worried about this podcast. I'm not sure if, if we should continue this. The first thing, even as I say this as a virtual, the first thing is a little bit of a, a little, a little ping sting of pain. Like why? What? And maybe then there's a, maybe I need to convince him not to. Why, why is this? Or maybe that would turn then into anger. Who the fuck? I don't care. I can do this alone. Da, da, da. Or maybe a, he never did enough anyway. <laughs> there's all kinds of reactions. But the truth is, if you said, I want to end this, this is love. Why? Because it's energy. Because you're giving this energy. You're saying something needs to change. Or I'm not happy. Or I want to do something else. Or in the moment, any moment that we are talking to each other, any moment there we are flowing love to each other and saying I'm going to stop something is at first flowing a lot of energy towards you to stop something. All that is love. What do I say between the lines? I say, I care. I care. I care. You know what's not love is when you stopped responding to my emails and calls and showing up to the podcast recordings because you completely forgot it exists, including me. That's not love. You know, you, you just like one day forgot about all this. If there's no love, there's no reason to flow any energy towards its direction. And the harder you always think of love as this tender thing with like hugs and kisses or passion or these very tender things we say, mon amour, you know, your eyes, your things. I've never felt this way before. I never had a man, but we're like, this is love. <laughs> you know, wow, this is great love. Or daddy, daddy, you're the greatest. Let me give you a hug. It's like, ah, oh, that's love. But anytime somebody's hand waving and screaming, that's love. That is love. I remember this, uh, Ram Das told the story once of uh, Timothy Leary being on this television show on a panel of intellectuals to debate you know, LSD and drugs or whatever. And there were audience questions. And so a man stood up that was a therapist and he started a question that was really kind of 
giving a speech. You know, these kind of people that just give very intellectual, snobbish speeches covered under the guise of, I have a question, but I really just want to tell you my opinion. And this man talked and talked and talked and was very eloquent and very kind of bombastic and very, you know, intellectual. And at the end of the television show, when Timothy Leary ran into Ram Das, Ram Das brought up that guy, hey, what did you think of that? The dude with his question and da, da, da. And Timothy Lear was, you know what? The entire time he was talking, all I was hearing was, please love me. Please love me. Please love me. And I'm like, yeah. You know, haven't we experienced this so many times in life where somebody's either very angry or very like, oh, let me tell you guys, I think we're... And all that is like a pleading for love. Please think I'm smart. Please think I'm right. Please love me. But we don't hear that. To hear that, to feel that, your heart has to be very open, very, very wide open. And our hearts are usually very closed. And we have this, a little bit of a, the gate is open just a tiny bit. And, you know, all the cheesecakes can come through the gate. All the kind of love that feels gentle and manageable that we want to allow in. But the overwhelming love, the love that is pain, that is anger, that is fear, that is fight, all those manifestations of love, of energy, life energy flowing towards you, those we're afraid of. Those feel like the opposite of it, although they're not. They're just different flavor. It's the same thing with if I read a couple of books about how to deal with death you know, how to deal with mourning. And when something leaves your life, when something dies or somebody dies or somebody leaves your life, the end of something, there's tremendous pain that we sometimes feel, you know, and that pain is, can be some of the most pure forms of love. That is oftentimes more intense than the time we ever had with them. You know, the, the intensity of having them in our life was never as overwhelming as what it feels when they're gone. That is love too. That is very, very intense love too. It's just that our mind spins in overdrive and goes, this is too much. This feels like death. This feels like it could hurt us. It could end us. So how do we get rid of this? And then we, you know, it's either let's take drugs, let's find somebody else, let's numb ourselves so we don't feel this, or it's uh, some sort of anger. I will never, or so a proclamation, a challenge. I will, now I'm going to work every day to never love somebody this way. Nobody will ever hurt me this way, or nobody dying will ever affect me this way. Or maybe it's, you know, resignation. Maybe I should die too. Let me just die too. When I die, it's over. When I die. But our mind will pick strategies or a strategy to run away from this. Why? Because it fears death and it feels like a kind of death, but it is really a sort of like rebirth, a sort of birth in it of itself. And when we can allow that love to exist in our heart, not to pretty it up, not to pretend it's not there, not to suppress it, not to fight it or not to prevent it, to just hold it and accept, yes, this is a cross that's very heavy right now for me. This makes me tired. This makes me sad. This makes me break down sometimes and I'll have to carry this cross without complaint, without fear and honor it also as part of my journey, part of what love really is. Then eventually it can transform in something really holy inside of us, something that we can really treasure inside of us. Um, but it takes great courage. You know, opening our hearts is one thing, 
but then keeping them open to all the forms of love, especially when the forms of love feel difficult or overwhelming. That is tricky. And uh, it's a big part of the work I'm trying to do now. We were just musing about it before we hit record that, what, two, three years ago? I always say two. Everything is two years ago for me. <laughs> but it's been tr- three. It's 19. 19, yeah. So this is, uh, this is three years ago now. Three years ago, we were on a sailing trip. And at the end of it, we talked about a lot of what was going on in our life. And we both said, I feel like my heart is very close. I want to work on opening my heart more, feeling more. And congratulations. <laughs> uh, we, that for sure we have done. That for sure we have done, I think. Now, for me... The challenge is to keep the heart open and keep widening it even more, especially when it feels scary, which it does a lot right now. My life very much feels very overwhelming right now. So many things are happening. And almost every two weeks, a new thing is added by the universe. And I go, there must be a really important lesson. And I'm really not learning it. The universe keeps adding stacks to this. And I'm like, okay, I will learn it. And I think for me, it's, Feeling all this as pure love, feeling it more as love and being less threatened, being less burdened, being less tensed by it. Now, sometimes I go, couldn't I learn this lesson more gently over a longer period of time? But then the response I get is, why the fuck are you in such a hurry to learn all the lessons? You set the pace. You are going all in and then you're complaining that this is very fast. So... It very much is uh, me that's dictating the pace. And, uh, and to some degree, I'm glad for it because the experience is intense. And hence, it's very hard for me to forget what I'm trying to learn. And it's very also obvious in my face. It's not hidden under many, many layers of disguise. There was a time three years ago where I felt almost nothing. Where part of the reason I loved going to martial arts training and sparring was when I would get hit and I would have some kind of pain after training. I loved that. And I remember back then my wife saying, you probably love the pain so much because you feel something. It feels alive to have pain because when you don't feel anything all day long, that feels like death. So pain is life. Life feels better than death. And I feel a lot, a lot. My life is full of feelings right now, which is a blessing. Uh, Something that I seeked and worked hard to accomplish. And now sometimes I complain about, (laughs) sometimes go, well, I wanted more feelings, but not this kind, (laughs) not this much. But the act of the experience of active love, waking up every day and asking myself, how can I allow more love into my life today? How can I love more today? Oh, how can I reduce you know, my stress? How can I manage my anger? How can I let go of my resentment? How can I deal with my overwhelm? How can I deal with my worry? How do I manage my fears? Love more, love others more, get into a state of self-forgetfulness, you know, love others so actively that you have less time thinking about yourself and you'll be all right. All these problems, all these problems are problems that arise When you close down and go inside and you're in this echo chamber of your inner building and you're just running into things and you're like, why is this room this way? Why is that room that way? We're not built to be inside that way all day long. We're some degree living life means experiencing 
the act of loving, right? And especially widening, I think, one of the big blessings of life right now for me is the widening the net of what I experience as love, what I see and perceive as actual love. Yeah, nothing is scarier, nothing is more beautiful, nothing is more sacred, and nothing is more challenging than real love and real loving.